Well, hello there. Welcome into the latest edition of the Nation's College Basketball Show and Podcast. And we have a bracket for college basketball coast to coast. The 2023 Big Dance about to be played at eight different sites. Well, really nine if you count Dayton, Ohio. But eight different sites for Thursday and Friday. And we are ready to go over all of it fresh off of the selection show on CBS TV. I am merely the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. I've got uh, some tremendous help here on the program. We'll get some thoughts on everything Big East from Ari Russell in a few moments. He was in attendance at uh, Madison Square Garden for Marquette's championship game. Uh, easy win over Xavier. We now know Marquette has earned a two seed in this tournament. We'll talk with him about that. Uh, Matt Zimmick will be here to talk West and Pac-12 and Mountain West. Fascinating that four Pac-12 teams got in and uh, and again matt is all over the pac-12 coverage and he's w- really our western bureau chief here on college basketball coast to coast but four pac-12 teams in four mountain west teams in as well with matt to talk about that jason powers is locking down the south with me uh, he and i want to talk about alabama as the number one overall seed auburn also uh, in the birmingham pod so that's fascinating in the eight nine game with iowa uh, Jason and I also saw UNC Asheville in person a week ago today, and UNC Asheville gets shipped all the way out <laughs> west to play UCLA. You heard that laugh from Jason Powers. We'll discuss that. Chris Dobertine is also here from bloggingthebracket.com. We had to give Chris an extra few minutes to digest exactly what we heard uh, from the other Chris, Chris Reynolds, the head of the 2023 Selection Committee, uh, with some of these explanations, like how in the world is a team that's number one in strength of schedule uh, Chris, I'm playing your song. With 17 quad one wins, the most of anybody, not the number one overall seed, but they're not even the number two overall seed. Uh, Chris is ready to launch, and bloggingthebracket.com came through again with a lot of the uh, correct information on who's in, who's in the first four, etc. All right, so let's get into it here on the program. Thank you for joining us. I'm merely TJ Reeves. As we rock and roll on this show, and by the way, I was part of three different championship game wins by UNC Asheville, Northern Kentucky, and also Iona on Saturday night. So I'll have thoughts on all of those games on this show as we go along. I'll just stick it in at some point here and there. Ari Russell, let's begin with you. You are fresh off a Saturday night win by Marquette over Xavier. Two things. Tell me how impressive they were real quick and a thought on them being the two seed uh, in the bracket with Purdue in the East bracket. Uh, for Marquette. Uh, Thoughts on all of that, Ari, as we begin things? Well, I mean, they certainly were impressive. They were impressive this whole season. I mean, especially in Big East play, Um, winning the, they, you know, won coast to coast in that championship game against Xavier. Uh, Sean Miller did say, I don't want to make an excuse, but he's like, I don't think our team was built to play three games in a row. We just don't have the depth and Marquette is a deep team and very physical and, and, like Shaka Smart's teams are usually very aggressive defensively. I mean, it's very similar to what we saw, like as far as how they match up and how they defend to that VCU team that he took to the Final Four. Um, it, it's a very, very well-disciplined team. Uh, they they really do a good job of their possessions and taking deliberate shots um, and get out in transition. And Tyler Kodak, I mean, not a huge guard, but he's a, he's like an old school type player. Really knows how to use his body. Is very crafty. Um, you know he was most outstanding player in the Big East tournament. 
it, they're a really tough team. And, uh, you know, Xavier had a great year and they just were completely outmatched on both ends of the floor. Uh, Marquette is a serious team. Like they, they, they have a lot. They're very deep. They've got some size. They've got some wing players that really could drive and handle the ball and shoot the three. And, you know, they've got that guard play, especially Kodak, um, really one of the better guards in the country and showed it on a big stage in Madison Square Garden on Saturday night. So I like Marquette. I like what I saw. I've been watching them pretty much the whole year, uh, but but seeing how they closed out the season, and I'm still, like, scratching my head. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, um, how the heck did St. John's almost beat this team? <laughs> and so right. it was like um, – but, but, you know, they came to play in a big stage. And I was talking to, to Jim Jackson of Big Ten Network, ran into him, used to work with him years ago. Um, after the game, like, you know, it was too bad the game wasn't competitive for a fan's perspective. But we are like, you know what, this fit, and I think I mentioned this last week on the podcast, um, Shaka Smart's fit at Marquette is as perfect of a fit for that program, for the type of coach he is and the type of players you get at Marquette, than you can find. I mean, considering he's a Wisconsin native, um, and, and I, I think they're a dangerous team and, you know, we'll see, you never know a tournament thing could happen, but, but, you know, they, they're playing at a high level right now. And they said, you know, we're not finished. And I've seen teams win the big East tournament and cut down the nets. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. And in particular, UConn comes to mind as a traditional big East team and Villanova as another one. Uh, we shall see. And again, they are in the East Regional with Purdue, with Kansas State, with a banged up Tennessee team and Duke as the top five seeds in that regional in the East Regional. All right. Let's just kind of go in the batting order. Matt Zimmick, uh, a thought or two on how things played out in the West. Arizona, first of all, won the Pac-12 uh, tournament uh, final uh, in the final seconds over UCLA. So that gets Arizona a two seed, as it turns out, UCLA also a two seed. Four Pac-12 teams are in, with Arizona State making the first four. USC safely in as a ten seed. Just give me a couple quick thoughts on the Pac-12, if you would, because you cover that region so well. Well, so you know what, the committee got it right with Arizona State. That Arizona State needed to get a couple wins at the Pac-12 tournament, had to beat USC in the quarters. And did so. So like their conference tournament result was recognized. But, you know, elsewhere in the West, uh, I'm mystified about Nevada getting in. You know, Nevada concluding its season with uh, losing to Wyoming, losing at home to UNLV, and then losing to San Jose State, a non-NCAA tournament team in the Mountain West quarters. I mean, I think that, you know, there were, in my mind, Nevada needed to beat San Diego State to feel safe. But like not even beating San Jose State in the in the Mountain West quarters, like that should have been a knockout game. That should have been a bubble popping game. And so, you know, does Steve Alford have incriminating evidence uh, against members of the NCAA selection committee? Because we've been down this road before. If you go back to 2015, UCLA had no business getting in. That was a Steve Alford team. No business getting in. Colorado State and Temple had far better resumes than the Bruins did eight years ago, and yet UCLA gets in. And then, of course, UCLA gets that ridiculous goaltending call against Larry Brown and SMU in the first round. I mean, you know, some guys just have all the luck, and Steve Alford <laughs> once again uh, gets in. And, you know, Nevada over Clemson. Like, Clemson crushed North Carolina State uh, in an ACC quarterfinal. Like, 
So I guess the conference tournaments matter in some cases, but not in other cases. And that's my big thing with these conference tournaments that, you know, it's a, it's like a, you're on the cut line, you're, you're battling other teams on a relatively equal footing, that second round game, that quarterfinal game, that's supposed to be a point of differentiation. And Nevada and Clemson, they went in different directions. Also, Rutgers beat Michigan. You know, like that that should count. Like that should put Rutgers ahead of Nevada. We're either Rutgers or Clemson. Like Rutgers versus Clemson, we can debate that one until the cows come home. But Nevada, that is a bad inclusion in the NCAA tournament. Hey, uh, Chris Dobertine, let me bring you in on what he's bringing up because a lot of times the arguments uh, have been, and it, and it will probably be this case, Nevada got so many good wins before that finish that Matt described that you can't lose your way out of those wins. I'm not saying that's what I say or that I agree with, but what's your thought? Because clearly Nevada had bad losses at the very end, including in the first Mountain West game, and the committee disregarded it and put them in the first four anyway. Well, we can go and talk about how inconsistent this committee is, and we'll surely do that later on. But, uh, you know, I was going through yesterday, um, last night, just making one last pass at the bubble and just trying to just equalize all of the things the committee said was important. And I had I had Nevada out last night before that. And I got to the point where I looked at their quad one wins and I considered the fact that, yeah, it's the Mountain West and you're not going to have as easy of a time winning non-conference games as you would in a power conference. I looked at that profile and I said, even with those losses, if you go on the full body of work, Nevada has a profile of that committee historically likes. So I ended up changing my mind and putting them in. Whether that's right or not, I mean, you talk about conference tournaments and how inconsistently, you know, the committee handles those games, you know, and, and their late bad finish. But again, they took all that out. They took the last 10. They took the last 15 games metrics out because they realized that it didn't really matter. It didn't really illustrate how teams actually performed when they got in the field. So as much as I would like them to go back to that, because I think that you really want to have the best 68 teams, the best 36 at larges that are playing well, you know, as the tournament begins, if you're going to value the body of work, you have to go with a team like Nevada. All right. Chris Dauber team with his thoughts from blogging the bracket.com. You also heard from Matt Zimmick as well. You follow him at USC's uh, Trojans Wire website from the USA Today uh, family of websites. He's Matt Zimek on Twitter, Z-E-M-E-K, Matt Zimek. Jason Powers also with me, all right? You've been waiting to launch on the teams of the South. Alabama, first of all, deserves a tremendous amount of credit. They rolled yep. Jason in the SEC tournament. Uh, they, they wipe out Texas A&M in the championship game. They are the number one overall seed. How surprised were you that they're the number one overall uh, in front of Kansas, Purdue, Houston, uh, what about that real quick, Jason? Don't have a problem with that because, again, Alabama won the regular season, then they won the tournament. You know, Kansas has the injury issue with one of their guys. We don't know what his status is going forward. So I don't have a problem with Alabama being the number one. And Kansas got thumped yesterday by 20 by Texas. So I don't – and we don't know we, – we think Bill Self's going to coach, but it's not a definite. So I don't have any problem with everybody's healthy for Alabama. Um, obviously, you have the, the Brandon Miller – cloud that still hangs over them a little bit but from on the court play i don't think you have any problem with alabama being the one overall seed but i do have a problem with auburn getting into birmingham (laughs) as a home game potentially in round two if they were to get to houston i think that's a major 
major flaw against Houston. Um, you know, I think in a couple instances, you see where the committee definitely wants to know there's going to be a full building. Birmingham and in, in Albany, New York, you got Iona and UConn. You know, you're going to have a sold out building. And that's what part of the, you know, sure. part of the thought process of the committee is they want people in the seats in in Birmingham, Alabama. That's guaranteed with Alabama and Auburn being there. That, and that's a gift for Auburn as the nine seed to be yep. placed there. I think we would all agree on that. Chris would agree on that. Who does this uh, day and night, week after week. Uh, about that uh, a quick thought Jason just while we're here we're surprised yep. under the surprise category that UNC Asheville who we saw last Saturday in the Big South they won we weren't sure would they be a 16 seed maybe in the first right. four we weren't sure if they'd be a 15 seed we joked watch them send them to Sacramento we did instead of, instead of putting them right by Asheville and Greensboro whether they let them be in Orlando whether they let them be in Birmingham how surprised are you that Asheville goes all the way out to play UCLA I mean, you you talked to the commissioner of the Big South about it. We were laughing about, hey, do you have travel plans? Getting ready to go from uh, from Charlotte to Sacramento, and we all laughed about it. But you know, when you really think about it, Asheville's not going to bring very many people, probably. So I don't. I mean, I can't kill the committee for doing that. Sure, you'd love to keep them close to home, but you know, I don't have a huge problem. I mean, they're the 15 seed. They're not going to get any geographic advantage, but you know. And Drew Pember, seven feet, yep. you saw it, say it real quick here on College Basketball Coast to Coast. He's agile. He can shoot the three. Yep. I don't know how much of a problem it will give a veteran UCLA team, but uh, a thought on that just real quick, Jason, because you saw yeah, I mean, Yeah, I mean, he's a good player. Tajon Jones, who we saw had a huge second half in the finals to get to get Asheville to the finish line. You know, you know, obviously we know UCLA, Matt knows, defense is there, is there – they're they're facing some injury issues. They don't have a lot of size. UCLA, they're two big guys. They're not very skilled. So Pember will probably give them some problems. Maybe you see Hawkes guard Pember on the perimeter because Pember's a little bit of a, of a perimeter player as well. So be interesting matchup to see what UCLA does against Pember, who can play both inside and out. That's Jason Powers. You find him at JPO Sports. He's with us. It's college basketball coast to coast. We are diagnosing immediately after the selection show the field of 68 and some of the matchups. And I've given these guys a couple of tasks on come up with a surprise, uh, come up with a with a final four team that may not be the chalk, all the number one seeds. We're going to get to all of that. And Chris Daubertine is going to play one final edition of who's in, who's out uh, with some of the teams that were left out. Chris, again, was pegging a lot of the last uh, four safely in the 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 uh, first four and the last four out. So we'll do that in a couple of moments. Uh, Matt Zimmick, I didn't want to derail you here. How surprised were you that it was Arizona State? And I guess that USC head-to-head win put them in the first four. Were you that surprised? No, not at all. And, you know, Bobby Hurley has gotten into the first four before. He's he's another coach who's gotten the benefit of the doubt on some of these uh, 50-50 balls on the bubble. So not surprised at all. And I think, you know, Arizona State get, getting the win at Arizona and then getting that neutral court win against USC and you add on, you know, the win over Creighton early in the season like that, that that's a win that really stuck uh, in terms of giving value. And that was on a neutral floor. You know, so Arizona State achieved some things. So not not surprised at all. And the 60 foot shot against Arizona is a yes. true road win. Huge. And the win over why USC in. is a neutral floor win. And that was enough to get them into uh, Dayton. Uh, Chris, you have the floor for just a second. Not so much on who's in, who's out. Was there a surprise in terms of seeding? Uh, Texas A&M. Yes. Can I ask you, can yeah. I ask yes. you why, Tech, Chris Dobertine, why is Texas A&M 18 in the net, 
One huge win after another down the stretch of the season. Beat the, the number four net team, Tennessee. Uh, beat the number two net team, Alabama. Won like four other games against the top 20. I thought, Chris, I'm not saying you have to justify it. I thought <laughs> the net was the be-all, end-all, and beating top net teams should matter. And Texas A&M has a seven in front of their name. That's a surprise to me. Pick up on that, and maybe you have another surprise besides just who's in, who's out. Yeah, I, to me, the problem with Texas A&M was the type of thing that also cost Rutgers and cost Clemson. You know, they had two bad losses, you know, Murray State um, and the Myrtle Beach Invitational back in November, and then they lost a month later to Wofford at home. And I think really, even though the committee seemed to have a real interesting case of recency bias when they did the reveal, you know, three weeks ago when they had UConn, you know, outside of the top 16, which kind of surprised everybody, you know, the recency bias in that case had, you know, the Huskies out of it. You know, the recency bias was kind of forgotten for teams like Texas A&M and Penn State in particular. I mean, that's just a terrible matchup to have in the first round. Two teams that should roughly be, you know, probably, you know, one should be a five, one should be about a seven, not in a 7-10 matchup. And I think that's what happened to A&M. They got caught up in having those two bad losses and they got dinged for it. But again, uh, you look at the bad loss, a uh, couple of them by Nevada at the end of the year that didn't seem yeah. to matter. And yeah, so that's kind of contradictory. <laughs> You're going to have contradictions because yeah. again, I'm, I'm just looking at it for the sake of looking at it. Texas A&M uh, finishes with an 18 net ranking at the end of all of it here. They did lose to Alabama decisively in the SEC title game, but down the stretch of the season, uh, here are the wins. Uh, they beat Auburn, who's 32 in the net at home in early February, Arkansas, 21 in the net at home. They win at number 42, Missouri. That's a quad one win. They beat the fourth net team, Tennessee, right after that in late February. They then uh, beat Alabama at home, who's two in the net. They, they validate the Arkansas win by beating them on a neutral floor in Nashville. That's one, two, three, four, five, six wins against the top 30 or better of the net, two of them against the top five of the net. And if that doesn't yeah. help you jump up beyond a seven seed, and what are we keeping track of? That's just me saying exactly. that. Exactly. On the surprises. Ari Russell, a surprise real quick from you. This can be seeding, where somebody was placed, in what region, uh, et cetera. Anything stand out as a surprise, Ari, from you? Just a quick comment. I mean, the, the, I mean I'm mean, i still standing on top of what you guys are. I think the biggest glaring one is Texas A&M because I was sitting there. I was like, I was thinking if they were going to win the uh, – if they ended up winning uh, – you know, uh, the SEC tournament, I thought that they would be as high as a three seed, considering what their net was. We, so can I interrupt? Was, we would yeah. love to know what was the contingency had they won that game? Because yeah. would they have moved them up two lines to like a five seed now that we know Texas a and a seven? You would have to think they would have, Ari. Yeah, and honestly, like, you know, we can – you know, this is obviously the night that we spend the time on it, you know, talking about it up until really Thursday. And then once the game started, it really doesn't matter um, at all. So, um, you know, but it's one of those situations where that side, I mean, that's a tough matchup. Even Penn State's also playing, you know, had a nice run in the Big Ten tournament yep. and uh, and almost pulled off the win uh, on Sunday as well. So um, and, you know, that that's a tough matchup, but it's one of those things where. Is it is that the seven that's gonna you know that seven ten is the winner of that gonna make it to the Sweet Sixteen and knock off the two, 
you know, the way that A&M's playing. And, and look, Buzz Williams is always fun to watch on the sidelines. He's highly energetic. You know, he's had success in the tournament as well before. Um, you know, I, I just think it's a surprise, but I actually think it's a surprise, but I it might end up being a benefit for them in, in a weird way, uh, the way that it matches up. Because sometimes when you get a lower seed, you can't get through, you yeah. get past that first round, yeah. and then you can sneak past that too, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you're in the Sweet 16, and, and who knows? Uh, just a fun one here. Thank you, Ari. Uh, Jason Powers, play along here. Uh, Texas A&M's most hated rival as a university. Oh, I was just getting ready to bring it up. Uh, they got to beat Texas. Yeah, and Texas. And then is Houston. In, is, in their, is in their way. Uh, Matt, Matt Zimmick. Uh, yes. What conference, Matt Zimmick, what conference is uh, Texas about to move into? Uh, that that would be the SEC, right? Uh, where Texas A&M is, and this is just coincidentally a second round matchup. While Texas A&M is at least one seed line, if not two seed lines, worse than what they should be, Matt Zimmick, right? I mean, you know, everyone's <laughs> going to be pointing to that matchup as, you know, and then of course, you, know, you could have Texas A&M or Texas facing Houston in the Elite Eight. Yep. I mean, like, and really. If we look, if we look, take a bigger look at the bracket, like, and I've said this before, the Southwest Conference tournament is just going to be amazing, you know? And so heavy Southwest Conference flavor yeah. in terms of what we could have in the Elite Eight and Final Four. Was there? I think, got, I think Baylor got a great bracket. Baylor okay. can do something with that. TCU, Arkansas, like, I would not be shocked if we had a TCU, Arkansas. Uh, elite eight game in the west region wow um, so so like these these former southwest conference schools they could you know we could have a significant presence in elite eight like if you take that midwest west half of the bracket those two you know those two regional champions meeting in the national semis that could be an all swc whether it's tcu or arkansas <laughs> coming out of the west versus houston or texas or texas a&m coming out of the Midwest. Would not wow. be surprised at all. Love that. Uh, Jason Powers, I don't think I asked you for the surprise. Did you have a surprise seeding? Anything that just I think, I mean, out I, real quick? I, yeah, I think I think Duke being a five and Tennessee being a four in the same bracket, as well as Duke's playing with all their guys, and obviously you lost Ziggler. I was surprised Tennessee held on to a four seed there. I think Gonzaga's got a good draw as a three. I like Gonzaga's draw. Um, you know, as a three seed, um, you it's know, not surprising that they put UCLA in front of them in the sweet 16 no. uh, again, and they admit that they look at this for geography and fans being able to show up that would potentially be in Las Vegas yep. the second weekend on the sweet 16 weekend. And they have played a couple of epic NCAA tournament games before they're both known in the West. Matt Zimmick is smiling that it's Gonzaga and UCLA. I'm just going to say, make sure that J.P. Batista doesn't show up for that game. <laughs> Luke, uh, Mbamute, Adam Morrison. Is Adam Morrison still laying on the floor crying? Dobbertine, can you check on that? Is Adam Morrison still crying on the floor in San Jose from about 15 years ago? Can we verify that? Can we check on that? Chris, can you get on that, please? Uh, see that was Oakland. Oakland, yeah. thank you. Uh, yeah, so, right. yeah, if he's there, he's by himself. 
Yes. One of the TJ, one of the best matchups in the tournament is involving your team. That FAU Memphis game could be tremendous. Very, very interesting that Florida Atlantic, they, they up at Chris Dauber team, they end up being a nine. They were were going to be an at large team. Correct. Obviously they're all the way in as a nine and I'm wearing a Memphis tiger hat while we do this right now, eight, nine game uh, with the winner in, uh, that bracket to get Purdue, Purdue. Yeah. in the in the second round. Fa- fascinating though, uh, Chris. Just a quick thought on FAU being that high up as a as a uh, conference USA team. I was really surprised that they. Uh, you know, I thought they were going to be a little bit higher than that. I thought they were going to be a seven or wearing the white jerseys an eight and an eight nine game. And now they get a you know a preview of coming conference attractions and playing Memphis since they're both going to be in the American next year. Correct. Um, that's going to be that, – that could be the beginning of a brand-new rivalry right there. Maybe. And, of course, Kendrick Davis, the SMU transfer, has been amazing for Memphis. He was amazing in Fort Worth. He set the all-time American conference. It's not been in existence that long. Scoring record for three games uh, in a weekend, and they beat up on Houston. And uh, Marcus Sasser or no Marcus Sasser, Memphis got it done, and they got in as an eight-seed in the eight. Nine games. few more minutes. It's college basketball coast-to-coast. We're fresh off the bracket release. I've got Ari Russell, Matt Zimmick, Chris Daubertine, Jason Powers hanging with me. Uh, Again, we will have tons of coverage on the TuneIn College Basketball Coast-to-Coast channel, including heading all the way to the Final Four and being there live in Houston, as well as podcast form. Wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you want to be subscribed, you'll get a new episode over and over again in March. Previews, recaps, all of it. We're just getting a, a first glance and a, and a first go-over of the bracket. Uh, I think I covered everybody's surprises. Chris Dobertine, did I ask you about a surprise from you if I did not, or if you want to just take a second one? Do you have a second surprise? Anything else? Uh, uh, yeah, you, I, you did, but I kind of skipped over it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think to me the big surprise looking at, you know, in terms of the seating, um, just kind of the way, again, we knew the Big Ten was going to be kind of, you know, bunched together. I thought Maryland was probably a little bit high. I thought that, you know, their profile in Illinois in particular were a little bit light on quality wins, and they probably should have been a little bit lower. Um, I, Virginia getting a four. I thought Virginia, after losing to Duke yesterday, probably would have get, been knocked down to a five seed because, you know, they haven't closed out all that strongly. Um, and in fact, I think that they may be one of my uh, potential upset picks when we get there. Um, but that, yeah, fir- that are, Furman that- Virginia matchup in Orlando could be something else. Thirteen against four there. To your yeah. point, yeah. Kansas I, State a three. Of- wow, I was surprised Kansas State got to be a three. I've had them there. I actually had them as a two for a long time until wow. roughly about the last week. And yeah, wow. I had them as a last three today. Can wow. we just say this though? Let's address it again. It's an it's not an easy job. It's a subjective no. process. But what are we doing when Kansas has the number one strength of schedule? They mm-hmm. have, if we're going by this metric of quad one wins, they have seventeen of them more than anybody else. They have ten yeah. more than Houston. They played in the number one net strength conference in the Big Twelve, and we've got yeah. the head of the selection committee talking about Houston's margin of loss wasn't as bad as Kansas margin of loss <laughs> as one of the reasons why they have Houston in front of them on the seed line among the number ones. Chris, just help me with that. That's beyond a surprise. That's almost indefensible. I, 
Yeah, because, I, you know, I, I open, you know, these selection sheets, you know, on a regular basis, obviously, you know, you know, this week it's been pretty much a daily process and you get to Kansas and not only do you have that, you know, that long, long list of games under quad one, but you look over and there's hardly anything in two, three and four. So, I mean, they played a schedule that was just incomprehensibly strong, not only in the league, but also out of it in November and December and in the SEC Challenge as well in late January. And that, you know, Houston, it just doesn't compare because Houston didn't play in a big tournament this year. Um, Alabama, the same type of thing. They had, you know, they did well early in the season, had some difficult, you know, top tier when they lost to Gonzaga, you know, in Birmingham. It just is mind-boggling when you, especially when you preach year after year after year that you know these quality wins, you know, are the gold standard and they're more important than anything else. And the first thing is who did you play? And yeah. Houston's strength of schedule is ninety-six compared to yeah. Kansas, whose strength of schedule is one. On who did you play? A uh, few minutes left here. I'll throw in the Iona team that I saw in person on TuneIn last night with Mike Gill. They won the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference title. Uh, by the way, I had a whirlwind weekend getting to and from Atlantic City, New Jersey, and getting <laughs> back to Tampa Bay where I live to get in position for this selection show. But the Iona Gales, they have length guys. They have guards. Rick Patino, a veteran coach, and that is going to be a wild matchup coming in the 15 uh, versus two game for Iona uh, no, no. with 413 they got UConn 413 UConn we were speculating last night uh, forgive me that Iona was going to maybe be like a 15 seed a 14 or a 15 and I was looking I was looking at your blogging the bracket Chris on some of this on where might they end up and they got all the way up to a 13 and that yeah. uh, that's fascinating to me that game will be fascinating uh, just because Patino's got guards, he's got four guys that are like six, eight or bigger. A couple of them are seven feet that have length. So that, that will be fascinating in Albany. Well, and, on that and Rick Patino's going to do a little scouting for the big East. <laughs> hint, hint. Once, yeah. once again, uh, they're not looking at the matchups, but they're, but they have Rick Patino against UConn when he may be about to be in the big East as the St. John's new coach, uh, coming up and the game in Albany, New York will be a tough. Tough ticket. All right, so one more thing here. Again, with the understanding almost everybody's going to look at their Final Four and, and rattle off their rapid-fire Final Four, give me a non-chalk Final Four team kind of around the room. Ari Russell, give me a team that's kind of a surprise Final Four. Maybe not Dark Horse, but not a number one seed. Ari Russell, do you have one? Well, you know where I'm going with this one, and that's because I'm a homer, and I'm not. I'm not going to throw any anything out there, and it's all reliant on one man's ankle. Um, but I'm going with Miami. Okay. Uh, I like, I, I, yes, I love the draw, man. I actually love that they're the five, and they're playing Drake and not Kent State. Uh, and uh, I just like the draw. I lo even with Houston with Sasser not being a hundred percent. I just think they match up well across the board. Uh, no matter who they play, I think AM would probably give them more trouble than Texas would if that's the draw. But it's all on Omir's ankle. We'll have to see where he is. If that ankle is, if he's able to play on it, um, you know, they are a team that I think matches up well against everyone. I mean, they're not huge, but Omir bullies there. He's, he's really, someone compared him to Kenneth Fareed uh, the other day, I heard. Um, but he's, he's just the beast. And, you know, they lost to Duke in that conference in the semis in the ACC but they would have won with Omir because 
he's just dominant. And I don't know, like he dominated pretty much every big person in the ACC. And I didn't see anyone really outplay him this whole year at that position. I just don't see that happening, but that it's dependent on his ankle. If he, if he, if he can't go, then, you know, they could be bowing out in the second round, but, but I'm going Miami. They're five seed. I'm going with them because I'm a huge homer and I'm hoping Mike Laranega takes another team to the uh, final four this time. Miami could be again. Ari is an alum uh, of Miami. Uh, interesting in, in the draw with uh, Duke, Duke with a damaged Tennessee team with Purdue yep. up at the top. That's like perennially Duke. with Matt Painter been an un- underachiever. And how about John Shire, the first ever uh, coach who was previously a player that won the conference title and now as a coach wins the conference title and does it in his first season and Duke is coming on. And Duke they have will- two very big, two bigs that can contend with Edie, Lively and Filipowski. You got to get there. But yes, they've got size in the Sweet 16 with Purdue. That is interesting. Matt Zimmick, give me a, a – uh, I won't say dark horse final four, but non-chalk final four is the way to describe it. Team. Give me a team. Uh West Virginia. Like I think West Virginia can <laughs> wow. West Virginia can that mess is out up. of the that's out wow. of the box. West by God, Virginia is the nine seed uh in the South bracket with Alabama in front of them. Go ahead. Like, you know, you know how Alabama plays, and Alabama relies on the three-point shot, and Huggy Bear's defense can just, you know, dismantle that that offense. And you can have West Virginia going all the way. Like and I think on a broader view, TJ, and everyone else here on the panel, here's the shot I'm going to call for the NCAA tournament. An eight or a nine will make the final four in Ooh. one of the regions. Ooh. An eight or a nine will make the final four because, you know, remember, you don't have heavyweight number one seeds. That's been a constant theme of the season. And these these brackets are balanced. You know, these are very balanced brackets. It's they- really hard to pick. There's so much fluidity. Let's recall in terms of Purdue, last time Purdue was a one seed was 1996, and Purdue got knocked off, Tubby Smith and Georgia. And so, like, that, that's setting up for your Memphis Tigers there, TJ, uh, getting so, Purdue as the one seed. So you're going to see chaos in these brackets. It's made I don't, for I don't doubt it. So, again, the 8-9 games are Maryland-West Virginia, which you're talking about in the South, the winner potentially to get Alabama. 8-9 is memphis Florida Atlantic in the East, the winner to potentially get Purdue, probably will get Purdue, obviously, barring a shocking upset. Houston is the one in the Midwest. The 8-9 is Iowa and Auburn that we already talked about, uh, and it's in Birmingham, and and Jason Powers already alluded to that. Look out for maybe Auburn against Houston in Birmingham. The 8-9 in the West is Arkansas and Illinois in front of the one Kansas, and Bill Self is a question mark uh, to coach it or not. Uh, Jason Powers, did I get did I get a surprise Final Four or at least somebody that's not the chalk? Give me one. I'm gonna give you. I'll give you two in the same region: Missouri and Creighton. I think Missouri wow. is a seven and Creighton asked, is a six. I asked for surprises, and you boys are going moonshots. Go ahead. Well, I I think Missouri with the ruggedness that they've had to play in the SEC, they played they played Alabama well. They've played some of the better teams well. And Creighton, I know that the ruggedness and 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 Ariel know this from the from the from the Big East. They got some size. They got a big guy in the middle. They got they can they can always score the ball. And I know they're defensively not as good as some of these other teams, but Creighton is always known for being able to score the ball. I think those are two two teams that could definitely make a final eight run. Chris Dauber team. I don't know that you can top. We're hearing about an eight nine team like Matt Zimmick is saying. <laughs> now we're throwing Missouri and Creighton out there as Final Four possibilities. Give me something that's not the chalk. I was intending like a two seed or a oh, three seed. Okay. Well, I'll give you a couple of those <laughs> too. I understand. I understand, Chris. Give me something. 
Give me something. I, I after, especially after watching Purdue this afternoon deal with Penn State's press late when they almost gave that game away. I I am on the Memphis bandwagon because mm. I just think that Memphis is a far more athletic team than that Penn State squad is. And I think if they really hassle Purdue in the second round, provided, and I think this is going to be a lot of it, you have to get past that first game, and FAU is not going to be an easy opponent. And if the Tigers can get past that game, I think that the the road opens up for them tremendously mm-hmm. um, on the way to Houston. You, you're making me crazy. You're, you know you're making me crazy <laughs> as I sit here in a Memphis hat that you're speculating yeah. that Memphis could be – that kind of a dark horse team. All right, we've got Chris Dobertine here, bloggingthebracket.com. Let's do this officially. Who's in, in or out, out for the big dance in March? One more time on who got in and who got left out. All right, so prominently Rutgers, who you had in for the first four, did get left out. Chris, a thought on that here from you as you've been analyzing this for weeks. Well, we talk about, you know, non-conference scheduling and picking up bad losses, and they had a whole slew of bad quad three losses, some of them at home, which, you know, is doubly worth. They did not take care of business at the rack like they normally do, and their non-conference schedule was absolutely abysmal, and I think that's really why they ended up being left out. Interesting that Pitt did get in as a 67 in the net. I mean, just keep track of this uh, because Pitt was 67 in the net. Arizona State was 66. And then you had three teams in the 40s, Rutgers, Oklahoma State, and North Carolina, who they let out that were 20 spots below those other two teams. So it's not just about the net ranking. uh, But a thought on Pitt in particular getting in, Chris, on the who's in, who's out. I mean, I can't really argue with it because, you know, they have some really good wins. They won at Northwestern, which didn't look like much of anything at the end of November. Now is a big deal. They took care of NC State and North Carolina on the road. They they actually won some key road games. Um, that really, I think, helped them out there, even though they did lose to Notre Dame and Florida State, especially with the FSU loss being at home. Um, I, I think that those quality road wins are what really kind of pushed them over the top. Jason Powers, did you have something to add on the fact that they almost just disregarded their own metric, the net, on a lot of this <laughs> stuff here? Quick, quick two points. I, I'd like to know with Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt's a trendy pl- the last 10, 12 games. Had they not lost to LSU about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. one, and had they lost to Alabama by 25 instead of 57, how would that have played into the thing? I think Vandy was a team that was playing great the last six, yep. you know, five weeks of the year. But the loss to LSU and losing to, by 57 to Alabama, I wonder how much that played into things. Chris, do you have a thought on that for Vanderbilt that certainly yeah. won significant games at the end? Uh, I'm just looking on – Beat Kentucky I mean, twice. They beat Tennessee, yeah. who's four. They beat Kentucky twice, including at Rupp and on the neutral floor in Nashville. They also beat Auburn, who's in the field. They also mm-hmm. beat – Mississippi State, who's in the field yep. late in the year. Uh, thought, and Chris, on, on Vandy's losses costing them dearly. Yeah, that's the thing, because I look at their profile and their result-based metrics, you know, what they did are all in line. You know, the strength of records, 48. The KPI was 39. 
But the predictive metrics are what really got them, and that's where those blowout losses got them. Ken Palm, they're down to 80. And the ESPN's BPI, they're 79. Even in Sagarin, they're 63. So that's, I think, what really cost them because you look at the rest of the profile, even with those, you know, couple of questionable losses. And again, a lot of that, I think, has to do with how the quadrants break down. Like, Grambling is 180, losing to them at yeah. home, yeah. you know, when they're having their best year. And that, you know, just because of where that line is drawn – you know, that hurts. But, you know, you look at the profile outside of that, and that is an NCAA tournament's profile, except for the predictive metrics, which drag it down. And the Real quick, TJ, the interesting thing is the eye test versus the paper. That's the, I mean, that's the always the balancing act is mm-hmm. you look at Vanderbilt the last four weeks and you say they're one of the best 36 at large teams in America, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. But you look on paper and they've got some stuff from November and December and losing by 50 to Alabama. Great point. That looks so good. All right. Yeah. Final thoughts here on the, uh, the immediately after selection Sunday night bracket show here, college basketball, coast to coast. All right, Russell, you got anything in closing? You talked a lot of big East. You talked to your Miami hurricanes, anything else? Final thought. I mean, yeah, I think like this is, this is a tough tournament. It's uh, and I think it has been for the past few years. Again, there's no dominant team in, in this tournament. And as everybody said, you know, I agree. Like, all these dark horses, you know, picking Missouri and Memphis, you know, making long runs, you know, even Arkansas is an eight seed, you know, it, it's, it's tight. And, uh, you know, I expect maybe we don't get as many upsets on the first weekend that we normally do. I mean, on the first day for Thursday and Friday, but we might see a lot of shakeup on Saturday and Sunday, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm the worst at picking any of these games. Anyone can know. I mean, if you want to get all your bets wrong, call me, I'll make sure to lose money. <laughs> So, um, you know, I just kind of sit back and analyze. I'm not good at predicting. Um, so, but, but I just, I'm looking at it and there's just a tremendous amount of balance across all of these brackets. We, we had like seven number one teams lose this year at some <laughs> point or another. I think it was seven different times. The number one team lost a game. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> and, and that's all it takes is a loss now for the one seeds to be gone, obviously at any point yeah. here, it is that way every year, but this thing could be very much wide open. Great stuff, Ari Russell. Thank you. Great insight, Thank as always, on the Big East as well. Look out for Marquette and Shaka Smart. One other interesting note. Feel free to use this yourselves, guys. My buddy Kevin Rogers of Vegas Insider has been pointing this out for the last three weeks. You want to fade somebody in the opening round as a possible stunning loss? Marquette against uh, Vermont, for example. Shaka Smart in his last six NCAA tournament games, they're all his first game at VCU, Texas, and now at Marquette, he's 0-6 straight up. Nice. He's lost every opening game the last six times. Stay tuned on Marquette. They should win against Vermont, but you don't know on that. Uh, finish it up. Final thought, Matt Zimmick out west. Anything else? Uh, just, you know, be prepared for chaos. I mean, these brackets are going to blow wide open, and, uh, like, this is the least confident I felt. Like, like I'm looking at – Okay, who's my final four? I don't have a clue. I'm just going to say it. I don't have a clue. I could say this is good, how it's going to be, but I don't have a clue. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't think a lot of people by the millions have a clue. Um, Jason Powers, final thought. I, I The interesting thing to me was the geographic, couple of geographic things. One, I own a UConn in New York, Alabama, Auburn, and Birmingham. The NCAA committee 
ticket sales to recoup some of this revenue from the COVID years. They want people in seats, so they've they've really trying to match up some people. And obviously, Texas, Texas A and M, and Houston all having in that little in that little group as well, having to play each other potentially. Yeah, and not an accident that even though they couldn't get into Greensboro, Duke is a humongous draw. They're in Orlando where there aren't really spring big breakers. Florida teams. The spring breakers are down here. Exactly. Uh, and, and again, you've got some of the draws set up for the West as well, and got those. And they admit they look at that on on and they should and travel yep. as they should to try to help the ticket sales as part of it. Chris Dobertine, final thought before we're gone here. Yeah, I mean, we this is again another situation where they focus more on geography more than actually building a balance bracket. Something that I think you know they've gone to in the past few years, which I think has really you know, put really good teams, especially since they don't think they don't try to play things out outside of the first round, which is why, you know, you know, what seeds one through five are only protected for that first game, which is why you end up with a situation where you can put, you know, Auburn in Birmingham opposite, you know, Houston. Um, and then, of course, when it's a situation where both teams are close, like UConn and Iona, you know, the bigger fan base kind of wins out. Right. Um, that I think to me, you know, if, if they went back to the old just seating as you know on the S curve as it used to be, it would be a better tournament, I think, competitively. But it's not going to be as much fun in terms of you know crowd atmosphere. Yeah, and by and by the way, we didn't mention this. Matt's in the West. San Diego State uh, perennially has been really good in regular seasons. Win the Mountain West regular season. Win the tournament. Hey boys, go play in Orlando as a five seed, uh, where you have. Very little hope of any fans uh, except friends and family of the players that are going to be able to get all the way to Orlando uh, for that one. So they did some of and that. With a majority of people in brackets are going to pick Charleston in that game. Who's won 30 games. Yes, and was probably an at-large case uh, as well. Uh, they're in a 5-12 matchup. What did I see tonight since the field has gone to uh, 64 and now 68 teams since it expanded in 1985? 53 times. A 12 has won over the course of about 30-plus uh, year sample, about a 36-37 year sample, 53 12-seed victories in this. So stay tuned uh, with the names Charleston, uh, Oral Roberts against Duke. I don't know about that one. Drake against Miami, sorry, Ari. And Virginia Commonwealth against St. Mary's might yes. be one in the West as well for the 12 versus 5 matchup on those guys this has been a blast ari russell thank you follow him at ari russell on social media matt zimmick read him usa today trojans wire website and the usa today family of websites follow him at matt zimmick z-e-m-e-k matt zimmick on twitter jason powers powers on sports podcast jpo sports great job as my wingman on the uh, the big south title game excellent job on the call unc Asheville. pack uh Pack for a couple of days out west. You're going all the way out <laughs> west. It might be a little cooler out in Sacktown uh, for the matchup with UCLA. Jason, thank you. Chris Dobertine, bloggingthebracket.com. And Dobertine is D-O-B-B-E-R-T-E-A-N. Chris Dobertine on Twitter. Guys, thank you. Great stuff on college basketball coast-to-coast -coast, right off the bracket. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank Thanks, TJ. And we thank you for being with us as well. Again, follow or subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Follow us at the last word on sports.com on the podcast feeds there and lastwordonsports.com slash podcast. And on the TuneIn channel, College Basketball Coast to Coast Streaming. Get this show whenever you like. Get updated programs whenever you like on podcast or streaming on TuneIn with College Basketball Coast to Coast. 
And now we have the field of 68. We throw the ball up in Dayton, by the way, with two games each night on Tuesday and Wednesday, 32 games Thursday and Friday. We'll be here all over it on College Basketball Coast to Coast.